Mentorship. It's one of those things that can be so powerful in your life, but it can also be really hard to find. It's not like you really want to run around asking everyone, will you be my mentor? Will you be my mentor? And what does that even mean? Today, we have Felix Lee on Reconsidering, and he's here to talk to us about this very thing, mentorships, the gift of being a mentor, the rewards of receiving mentorship, and how with just a little bit of time, you can make your life a little better in the life of someone else. During the height of the pandemic, Felix Lee was 25 years old and saw a lot of people around him losing their jobs and looking for support, looking for guidance and someone who could lend an ear, maybe help with a resume, or just give pointers on who was hiring and where. He also discovered that others wanted to give back. They wanted to be the ones to help with resumes, help make connections, and get folks back to work. And this is how ADP List was started. A social learning network where people can learn from the best in the industry, for free, through mentorship opportunities. We dive into how ADP List has grown into a renowned world-class organization, what it was like to launch such an organization in the middle pandemic, and also learn more from the next generation and how they see the world. This is Reconsidering, a podcast about life and how to live it better. I'm Meredith Black. I'm Bob Baxley. I'm Aaron Walter. Thanks for joining us for our conversation with Felix Lee. This series is brought to you by Indeed Design, a resource for designers and researchers and all UX professionals who do design work that matters. If you're thinking about working in UX or you want to take the next step in your UX career, Indeed Design can help. Visit indeed.design for tips and tools for people of all levels. You'll find articles to help you refresh your portfolio, build more accessible products, improve team culture, and so much more. That's all at indeed.design. My name is Felix, and I'm the co-founder and CEO at ADP List. Our mission is to democratize mentorship for all. We imagine a world where people can get access to the knowledge they want to pursue their dream careers. I started ADPs a little bit more than a year and a half ago. And today at ADP List, we have about 20 employees, and I run the product and community team across multiple different functions. Cool. Well, we start the show with kind of a lightning round. You ready to play? Yeah. Okay. Early morning or late night? Early morning, for sure. Laptop or smartphone? Laptop. Seat at the bar or quiet table in the corner? Quiet table at the corner. Player or coach? Player. Twitch or Discord? Discord. To-do list or calendar? Calendar. Inside or outside? Outside. Scripted or improved? Improved. Agency or corporation? Agency. On the job or in the classroom? In the classroom. Confidence or humility? Oh, wow. This is a tough one. I would say confidence. So, Felix, you started ADP List about a year and a half ago. I think for me and our listeners, I'd love to hear the origin story of how ADP got started and why you started it. Yeah, for sure. When ADP started, it was right at the height of pandemic. It was somewhere around the late, or if not the mid of 2020, where you know companies are laying off. Obviously, you know people are just extremely fearful about the market. And for me, 
I was happy at a job. I was stable. At that point of time, I was, I remember I just graduated from my military service. So I did two years of military service army in Singapore and I graduated and I got a great job as a design lead. And so I had everything settled. And obviously the pandemic hit, I saw that people around me were laid off. I had a comfortable job. And so I felt I just had to do something, you know, at that point of time. And what happened was that, you know, as a designer, I only would have the power of like being creative and just trying to do something that, you know, support people. But I realized that I didn't know how to code anything, right? I didn't have, uh, you know, the, the skills of a developer and I couldn't build a website. I, I remember vividly, I wanted to build a contact tracing app, right? Like a contact tracing website that would help benefit people, you know, in my neighborhood or in my country. And I just couldn't do it because I, I just didn't have that. And so as a designer, I felt, hey, there's just a lot of things that I couldn't do. And what I did was that I created this Google spreadsheet that allowed people who were looking for a job to put their names up there in the public spreadsheet. And I said, as long as your name is on this spreadsheet, I'm going to send it to recruiters that I know on LinkedIn uh, just to take a look at your profile, right? And so that was the first step, right? A lot of people started joining in. And I also realized that a lot of people wanted to be a part of that spreadsheet, not because they were laid off, but because they wanted to just help others. And so I created this tab on the spreadsheet that says, get a portfolio review or get your resume reviewed. And so people started to sign up, not because they were looking for a job, but because they were signing up on the spreadsheet because they wanted to mentor people on getting a job or trying to make their careers better. And so that Excel spreadsheet was named Amazing Design People List. And hence, we got the name ADP List today. It's the acronym of that, right? And so it started to spread. It went wild. It went viral. You know, Envision came in as our first sponsor of $5,000 sponsor. And James and I somehow got the confidence and said, we're probably going to do this a little bit more than we do. So we built a website for it, a simple Webflow website. James is a master of that. We launched it to the world. And we decided to leave our jobs around like six months after the site project. So this was in 2021. And, you know, the rest is history. Yeah, it's been a grateful journey. Can you talk a little bit about the risks of taking that leap? Like what was at stake in deciding to go from like, hey, we've got a spreadsheet with some cool information. We've got a little bit of an insight. And now we're going to try to make a go of this together. I think the risks are pretty visible. So I'm, I'm 25 right now this year. And I didn't go to college, you know, not like a lot of my friends in Singapore or in the States, you know, a lot of them are either like Ivy League school or they're just in like, you know, normal, like, you know, colleges. And, and I didn't have that, you know. So for me, there was a level of risk that, hey, what if something didn't work out? And, you know, I just didn't have those credentials to back up myself if I ever need a job. But I remember something that really pushed me off the cliff was that, you know, first of all, I was already having a job, right? Like without a degree, without a bachelor's, I was already in a job as a design lead. And quite in fact, I was getting paid above the market rate for that job. And just because I was able to do my job well. And so for me, that had become less of a concern. And so while there is risk involved, I try to, you know, see the bigger picture on that side. But at the same time, you know, the risk was really, you know, if things don't work out, you know, what am I going to do next? But I felt like, at such a young age, you know, we could just probably risk it all a little bit, you know, stay at my parents' place, kind of like hustle it out for a couple of years and, you know, see where that takes. And so when we left our job, I remember it was, it was so scary because 
imagine like we just didn't have any funding at all from any investors. So it was just basically me and James and our pocket money. And we just like wanted to do that. And, you know, it was kind of crazy. But as I guess like hard work would have it, you know, one of the world best investors, Sequoia Capital, who invested, you know, famously in Steve Jobs and Apple, it came on board a couple of months later after we, we left our jobs because they saw what we were doing and they said, you know, they want to be part of that. And we even gave them a condition and we said, look, our condition to you is we want to make sure that we keep education free, right? And so while we figure out the business model, you know, our promise is that we want to keep education free. It doesn't matter how much money you're going to put inside of us. You know, that's the commitment that we're making to people. And so they agreed on that. We have an amazing partnership. So they came on board. And I think that that sort of elevated a little bit of that risk and we stopped using our pocket money, our savings to say that. So the risk was really much on, you know, where we're going to find jobs. But I guess that a lot of that were answered along the way. Felix, if we could just back up for a second, because our audience is not just designers, it's a general interest audience. And so it'd be useful if you could explain to us and explain to the listeners like what ADP actually is and how it works and what the experience would be for the users. For sure. So ADP List is a social learning network where people can come here and learn from the world best mentors for free. And basically, people can come here, find the mentors that they need in their career, whether it be in design, product management, marketing, engineering. You know, we have mentors across five of the biggest categories in tech, right? You know, namely in design, engineering, so on and so forth. And so you could come here, easily find a mentor that you want, book a time with them, you know, get on the call, get on a quick 30 minutes call, you know, ask your questions, network however you want, or, you know, just ask the questions, you know, that you want. And it's almost a both-way streets, right? It's a two-way street. So the mentee benefits and the mentors, you know, they gain a lot of insights about their own leadership style, their communication, you know, they grow themselves as a mentor as well. So, you know, that's how the platform is being utilized today. We are adding a lot more gamification features that makes the experience a lot more rewarding and fun for people. And so that's as simple as it gets. And on the side of a mentor, people can apply to be, a mentor on ADP list, right? There's a lot of benefits that comes with it, right? Including networking sessions, so on and so forth. But basically being a mentor on ADP list is as simple as, you know, putting in your calendar and saying that I just want a coffee chat every Friday morning for 30 minutes, you know, and you're done, right? Like just a simple setting. And so that's just how the platform operates on a high level. I have a question about that. So I think it's awesome that there are people out there who want to give advice as much as people who want to get advice. One big question, though, is, is the advice that people are giving necessarily good advice? And how do you qualify that? Because I think in this day and age, there's a lot of people out there who are qualifying themselves as coaches and allies and mentors and all of that stuff. So like, how do you find the best of the best to make sure that you ensure that your mentees are getting the right guidance? One of the things is that I think when people look at ADP, at least in the scale that we're at today, a lot of people assume that we kind of let everyone become a mentor, right? But the reality is this. Today, if I were to give a really accurate statistics, only about 30% of applications to be mentors get approved on ADPs by our team. So we have about a team of five to six people, inclusive of full-time and volunteers, working on this approval process every single week. And we vet through you know, folks by their LinkedIn profile. We vet through them by their portfolio if they have actually put it in their profile as well. There's a couple of things that we look at to make sure that someone is obviously in a way qualified to provide the right advice. So the first thing is, I think, the industry that they're in. So first of all, and the second is the level of experience, right? So 
we look at level of experience as almost one of the key factors, right? At least three to four years of experience. And I think last but not least, we there's another factor, obviously there's a list of them, but you know, I'm listing the more important ones. There's this factor that we often see is that, you know, does this person has somewhat a track record of being a helpful person? And how do we determine that? So we look for signals in profile, right? We look for things like, is this person a manager, right? Are they managing people, right? Because they would have a form of like, you know, people experience. Are they some, you know, mentor at some boot camps or some schools, right? That they have previously volunteered before. Or, you know, in some cases, are they like teaching assistants in schools? Because we find like those profiles a right fit to be a mentor. So there are some age cases where, you know, some folks are like first or second year of experience, but we do let them in as well because we see that they have such a strong track record in helping people that are in their position to get to where they are. So we let them in, right? And so I think, you know, experience almost in some cases don't matter as long as, you know, we see that this person has a track record of helping people in their position and it's quite, you know, shown on their public profiles. So more than often not, we, we try to get them in on those. To add on to that, what do you think the difference is between a mentor and a coach? Because I think a lot of people get those confused. Exactly. Well, in my opinion, look, by no means, I mean, I'm an expert on that side, but I can tell you that the things that I've observed about a mentor is that it's casual. It's extremely casual. You get on a call, you know, you get on a coffee chat and you just say, look, what's going on? You know, how's work going? Hey, this is something that I kind of want to talk to you about. It's really casual on the level that it doesn't sort of like provide you with answers, right? It provides you with a level of guidance. Very similar with coaching, but it is a little bit more casual because you kind of can talk about things that sometimes are outside of work as well. The personal relationship is a lot more obvious as compared to coaching. Now, coaching is very similar where I think coaching is a lot of strategic guidance, very much structured, right? It's not casual. It's very structured, right? Like, there is a set of things that the coaches would go through to make sure that this person has the best results by going through a sort of like questionnaire from their side and whatnot. It's very structured, but at the same time, the relationship with a coach is very transactional, if I were to put it that way. It is not out of goodwill. There's financial transactions involved. So it's like you're paying for a service for that. So what someone can expect out of that is obviously much more targeted results. But you know what you lose in that is obviously hey, anything outside of that coaching hours, you know, it's completely separate. You probably got to pay if you kind of want more hours with that person. So, you know, I always lean towards a side of mentorship because it reduces the pressure on this person who is also giving advice. But at the same time, I think it creates a realm of like comfort where say, hey, it's much more towards a personal relationship where I can share anything as compared to a transactional relationship. And, you know, not everyone can afford for a coach. So that's the main difference that we're seeing. You know, Felix, the fact that ADP can exist and has grown and done so well, it makes me believe in the goodness of humans again, that people are willing to help others. Because this is really an act of altruism. You're mentoring, you're helping someone who's maybe earlier in their career and needs guidance, guidance that maybe they're not getting on a college level. I would have expected, if I were to look at this on paper, that there'd be strong demand and low supply, not a lot of mentors who could meet all of the demand. What is it that mentors get out of the experience? Why do they sign up? Yeah, for sure. I remember 
because you know when we left our jobs you know we were still like living on our savings so we were really scared like and i spoke to a lot of investors and i remember a lot of people are saying that's it's insane like first of all it's insane that people want to do that for free because i think a lot of people are accustomed to the idea that certain things got to be paid transaction and whatnot and in fact there are a lot of platforms that are out there that are paid you know for mentorship and if we compare side to side and ranking to ranking ADP today has the largest liquidity in terms of the number of mentors the retention but also importantly we're doing close to 20,000 sessions every single month right by far it's one of the largest in the world and so it's a small industry look it's a small space and everyone is growing so you know a lot of people said that is crazy but i sort of you know observe obviously through the couple of months is that it's actually not a crazy idea if we think about it because people has inherently been doing mentorship for years and years and decades right like you know mentorship has always been free you reach out to someone today in your company or on linkedin and say can i grab a cup of coffee right everyone would say yes you know no one would basically say hey you know Aaron you got to pay me $1000 before i speak to you i think everyone would say all right let's grab a coffee when you're free when i'm available let's do it and so i think what we have unlocked is not really mentorship but what we have unlocked is that small realm of space where people could say yes without taking money we have designed a system and a technology around an organic behavior that i think people didn't choose to believe in before there were so many founders that wanted to do models like that but they say hey we got to do it like uber we got to do it like airbnb where you know someone's got to pay and the mentor receive a set of money and financial and what not i can tell you we did try to sort of do that for like a quick experiment and the result was that we got a ton of backlash you know and it's so counterintuitive because it's like why wouldn't you want to receive tips you know it's just a $5 tip or like a $10 or i don't know like $20 tip like why would anyone receive that in fact it got so bad that it went public you know people were sharing like why is adp is doing this and you know we had to remove that feature and i questioned myself like do people really not want that cup of coffee or like that money you know and we did our research and here's what we found out we found out that people were just a lot more altruistic than we like to believe that they are right a lot of them are here because they said it's easy for them to pay it forward to the rest of the world it's great for them to meet people who are like minded like them and finally the biggest reason is because they were able to help someone who is in their position they were once in their shoes right so a lot of them are you know people who are transitioning into design or might be from a minority background and they feel i would say in a way morally obligated to say that i want to help people who was once like me as well and so uh that was such a strong factor that people said you know i don't want any please to put in any money for me on my behalf i'm just going to do it because i'm so motivated to help someone in my shoes as well so that was the biggest reason that we found people for doing it for free i've done a handful of sessions on adp over the last year and a half or so and that's been my experience as well it was just it was so enriching for me to be able to talk to young designers from around the world and to interact with people that would never have been able to get to me in a company they just weren't in the same physical space so to have like a online space where they could connect with me and then we could do something remotely which obviously we couldn't otherwise do it's just been incredibly gratifying as a mentor and i remember when there was some talk about the tip thing or was adp going to transition into more of a transactional thing and i had all those emotions too i was just like oh no no like money's going to ruin this whole thing 
perhaps we all underestimate the intense pent-up demand for altruistic opportunities. Well, and I think to add to that, Felix, you kind of nailed this, is that, you know, I say that a lot too, is I think people are really scared to reach out to somebody on LinkedIn and think like, oh, their lives are too busy or, oh, they're too important to talk to little old me, right? But nine times out of 10, you do it and people are actually really kind of like honored and excited to talk to somebody about what they do or think that people are really interested in, you know, what they've perhaps contributed to the world and stuff like that. So I think that's, you know, kind of the one thing for our listeners is like, it's okay to reach out. It's okay to talk to people. And of course, some people are going to reject you and that's okay, but that's just life, right? Like, I mean, nine times out of 10, if you get a 90% score of people wanting to talk to you, that's a pretty solid rate, right? I have a question for you. So because you started this during the pandemic, I'm sure you've seen a ton of different things you probably didn't expect, right? Like you're seeing patterns of behaviors, of industries changing, of all of this stuff. You know, the one thing that I kind of go back to is, you know, women and underrepresented minorities in the workplace, right? They were the first ones to kind of be impacted by the pandemic staying home, taking care of the kids, doing the childcare, doing all of that stuff. Have you seen kind of an uptick and women and underrepresented minorities really wanting to get more mentorship and kind of getting out there now that we're perhaps in a steady state of COVID? I mean, we're not we're clearly not over it, but we're in a better place. <laughs> yeah, I think, you know, the word pandemic is just there for formality because everything is sort of like back to normal, at least in my opinion. So one thing that really surprises me, as you mentioned that, Meredith, is that I was expecting the trend to be like, hey, people are staying at home, so they need more mentorship. But, you know, we just saw the growth kept growing. And I think that the reason for that is because it's just for a fact that, look, we don't use LinkedIn just because there is pandemic. Like, we probably use it a little more, but the need for that connection, the need for that learning and that mentorship will always be there. And so, you know, that's something that we always observed, right? And so that kind of surprises me a little bit because I just thought it was a pandemic thing. And obviously, I was prepared to take the risk that this is just going to be a pandemic startup. And But, you know, James and I are hopeful that we'll do whatever it takes to try to help as many people as possible. And, you know, my co-founder, James, he's from a minority background. You know, in fact, he's from a country that, you know, doesn't have much stable infrastructure. He's from Africa, right? And I'm from Singapore. Like, it's a totally different world. And so I think he keeps me in check a lot about what's happening on that side of the world to understand the difficulties that, that people are going through. For example, recently we did a partnership with a university in Africa and you know we have a couple of mentors go in there in person to share some advice and whatnot. And the whole room just went blacked out, you know, because of you know the electricity just wasn't that stable in the country. In Ghana, you know, but I saw that the students were still learning, they were still eager asking questions, and I thought that was you know pretty heartwarming to see. But, you know, to your question as well regarding women's and working moms, you know, we see a huge trend in that trying to find people of the like-minded so that they can have that conversation that they need regarding whether it be transition or at workplace. And I can't say much yet, but we're actually working on something very important along that lines. And we're really hoping to try to support those people in very unique position, especially for women. In fact, you know, we recently interviewed an incoming employee and, you know, she's a female. And the first thing that she said is that she's going to start campaigns for women, for working mothers, because she believed in that. And for me, I was like, 
yeah, let's do it. You know, let's do it because I see that demand. I see that getting requested by friends of mine who are working moms as well. And if not women in tech. And so I'm deeply supportive of those movements. And I think we're just going to double down more moving forward. So Felix, you mentioned earlier that you were 25. So that situates you right at the beginning of Gen Z. And I have a couple of grown kids who are also Gen Z. And I am, you know, I was born in 1963. So a bit of an age gap here. But when I hear you talk and I think about the people I've interacted with on ADP who also tend to be more your age, you know, there's a really different worldview and mindset. And I find Gen Z to be just such an inspirational, I'm getting all choked up here, like such an inspirational generation. And I'm just sort of curious, you know, when you think about your mindset compared to your parents' worldview, do you have some way of thinking about the difference there and how you see the world differently? I mean, in no small part, because you seem like a phenomenally optimistic person, which is kind of hard to come by these days. Thank you. Yeah. You know, I grew up in a family that taught me the power of humility and hard work. And I think that's been a huge part of my life. And I and I consistently try to do that. I was fortunate enough to be a kid that grew up extremely curious. I started my first company when I was in high school. And I sold that company when I was only at the age of 20 years old. And so when I look back in my journey, I think despite coming from a more humble background, you know, just being able to be relentlessly optimistic about the world and, you know, what I'm doing personally, I think that's been, you know, one of the really the superpowers. And I think, you know, a lot of people my age has grown up in a world where we like to think that the world is given to us in a way. For example, in US or even like in Singapore, like we grew up in a generation where we look at all these buildings and this infrastructure around us and we think that hey the world is just the way that it is you know but you know a lot of people don't tend to look at history and say that there was actually a progression that made us who we are today right like a lot of people didn't grow up with iphones now everyone these days grew up with iphones and ipads and macs and whatever but there was once a generation that grew up without that now obviously we wouldn't want to be back there but the question is, you know, what can we learn from history that we can apply today, right? Is it a hard work? You know, is it the way that they think about the world? And is it the way that they put in the work towards building progress? Because if you ask me, a lot of Singaporeans today in Singapore, we are so privileged. Honestly, it's one of the best countries. But the problem is that a lot of people are starting to forget what took this country and what took us as a generation here today, the hard work that it took you know, the progress that we have made, you know, some of the values that we have held dear. And so for me, you know, one of the reasons why I continue to stay extremely grounded is because I know that there's so much things that, you know, has yet to be seen and learned. And so you know, I continue to be extremely curious about the world. And in fact, next week, I'm traveling to India for a solo trip to meet my team and as well as the community, just as I had to San Francisco earlier this year for six months. You know, I was staying in San Francisco for six months. And all of these are just trips that I take alone because I want to see what's out there in the world and kind of connect the dots, you know, around different human beings and kind of like what are the trends and patterns that we're seeing. One thing that's really fascinating to me is if listeners go to adplist.org and just look at that list of mentors, it doesn't look like Silicon Valley. It's not like a small slice of humanity. It's everybody. You know, there's a mentor here that I see from Bangladesh, India, Palestine, the Middle East, like people are, you know, all over Africa. 
ironically, one of my former students from Atlanta is on the homepage right now too. Um, and this is, this is like everybody is here. And it makes me wonder, how do you measure your impact? Because that is part of what a business does. It's like, how do we know we've been successful? One way you could measure that is by like who's present in mentorship and what's the breadth of the opportunity that we're offering our mentees. But maybe there's other ways that you're tracking impact that maybe we can't see. You know, to date, we have done over, I think, 8 million minutes of mentorship session or even probably more than that. You know, we have kind of like lost count of that. The reason why we lost count is because the minutes actually don't matter to us that much. It is a vanity metric. I could tell you that it's a bit unorthodox and it's something that probably designers would be comforted to hear, but probably not the investors who might be hearing this, is that we track certain metrics that are important, like you know, retention, acquisition metrics, and so on and so forth. And we put those in reports. We try to improve those, obviously. At the core of the team, that is just a means to an end. Now, the impact that you're talking about, Aaron, that really means a lot to us isn't the quantity of people who are on the platform or the manual transactions that we're doing or sessions, you know, it's really that one single experience that someone gets and they say, wow, that conversation has changed my worldview and has changed my life. Just as me being in San Francisco has changed my worldview. If someone were to be able to say that on ADP, even if it's just one person every single day, you know, I feel like we've done our part in the world. And the reason why I formed this worldview and this view of what impact is like is because there was once when we began building our website, I remember it was such a small team of us and there was a competitor that started to do what we were doing, like exactly what we're doing. And I just told the team one thing. I just said, if you want to win, like if you just want to be good and you want to be great, focus on your community you know, build the best experience for them and just don't look at the competitors. Like you could look at them as a form of like benchmarking, but never try to compete with them or never try to catch with them. Don't play in the same game, you know, never play in the same game with them. And so I think we chose to focus a lot on, can we make the best experience for that one person? And that best experience comes in a form of impact that comes in the form of, can we help them realize what they want to find internally for themselves in their careers. And I think that's how we measure impact. You know, every single day, we send out some level of surveys after, you know, someone completes like two or three sessions, we send them a survey. And if they fill up that survey, their responses actually get automated to our Slack workspace. And every employees get to read that in real time. And they are reminded of the impact that they are making on someone else's life. And that's how we actually measure impact on a more authentic way. So you run an organization for people to get mentored. Do you have mentors? Yeah, I consider a lot of people that I learn from, even just on casually, like Bob sharing his experience with me a couple of times. I consider even some friends of mine as mentors because I think I respect them on very different spectrums. You know, like some people might teach you on how to be humble. Some people might teach you on how to be confident. You know, some people might teach you from their life story like Bob did for me. And so I have a lot of mentors that I consider to be people that I can reach out to and approach anytime that, you know, I would need advice. So yeah, definitely. Felix, you mentioned earlier on that, you know, obviously you started with design, hence the name, but you said there's other disciplines that you guys have brought in all kind of from the tech space. Do you think that there's something unique about tech or 
do you see a world where this mentoring expands to really like everything? You know, how come there's not plumbers and electricians and veterinarian assistants and, you know, waitresses and like everything? Like, do you think there's something about tech and that's unique? I think so. I think, first of all, there's something that's unique about designers. I think if we had not started with designers, I don't think that we would probably be on this podcast today. Designers are people who I think are so open to sharing just because of their day-to-day job and their lifestyle. And, you know, they're much more open to sharing feedback. They're much more open to taking feedback as well, just because that's just how designers operate. And so it's fortunate that we began, you know, in designers and I myself as a designer as well. And we see product management, engineering, marketing behaving almost the same way, not quite on the same spectrum as designers, but they behave the same way as well. And so I think tech is something very special because everyone wants a piece of it, right? Everyone thinks that they want to get into Facebook and Google and Netflix. And, you know, they think that the best way forward is obviously to meet people who are within the industry itself. So I think the people in tech industry understands that first, it's a small world and it's a small industry. And so second, they recognize that hence, because of the first point, Networking is extremely important and learning with each other is extremely important. And so I think people in tech industry recognize that. And so we, we see this behavior. But my sister works in a bank. She works at JP Morgan right now. And I frankly see the same behavior in the finance industry. So there's no telling if we won't move into there. I think we might someday, maybe a few years down the road, but probably not, not as of now. But you know, I think that tech industry is extremely special. So Felix, one of the things that we're seeing you know, in the post pandemic move to like hybrid work and remote work, as you see it over and over in lots of different surveys that younger workers in particular are really struggling because they're not getting face-to-face interactions in the office and they're not getting spontaneous mentorship opportunities. That's probably not going away. I mean, I think of how formative it was for me early in my career to just be able to walk in the office and learn from people around me sort of, again, spontaneously. I don't quite see something like ADP filling that hole, but I could see it helping Do you have some thoughts about how mentorship and some of these outside of the office mentorship networks might help to bridge that gap in a fully hybrid world? I think it's an interesting question because we're still trying to figure it out. You know, we're still trying to figure that question out as well. I believe in face-to-face meetings. Let's just put it that way. You know, I thrive on that. You know, I continue to want to have a lot of that. But I do think that we kind of live in a different world where some level of digital is good. So I think that's something that creates some space for something like that. But I think that it's a question that perhaps, you know, would be best answered in the near future. But definitely, I think there is room for ADP to try to identify an opportunity there to help people to connect in person, maybe not in the office, but maybe somewhere near their office, you know, with someone else who might be outside of their company. So Felix, we usually wrap up with this interesting question where we ask the guests to imagine themselves as a 25-year-old. But it turns out you already are a 25-year-old. <laughs> so, so that makes it a little bit trickier for us. I think I'm going to ask the question a different way because what we're really looking for here is your thoughts kind of in a reverse mentoring thing because I strongly believe that those of us who are a little bit more advanced in life have a lot to learn from those who aren't. So I think I'm just going to ask you, as a 25-year-old, if you and I were to sit down for coffee and I was to ask you for advice, what would you tell me? The most important advice that I would probably ever leave in my life 
for anyone is understanding the importance of connecting the dots and perspectives. And this is so important, you know, and it is unfortunately something extremely rare today. I will tell you why. You know, someone could look at design today and say that let's create a great user experience, let's create a great user interface, and that's about it. That's the job of a designer. I'm going to just, you know, think about that. And then you would have a different designer that, you know, yet again is frankly the top 0.1% or if not just 0.5% of people that I've seen that, you know, could come to you and say, I think we should do this feature because the world is moving towards this way. And I'm observing that specifically the people in the United States are behaving this way and India, China is behaving that way or a certain behavior. And so I think this feature would work because it kind of would be able to cater for these behaviors that the world is changing towards. And the data points as well show for it. It's extremely rare that you get someone like that who is able to connect perspective outside of what they're doing with extremely broad perspective. Now, if you ask me why AD Please was able to be at such a level at a global scale, it was because James and I were able to connect that perspective. And I can tell you that there's not a lot of people who were able to do that, which is why today, you know, we see certain companies being only in Singapore, being only in the US, being only in India, because they are not able to connect that global perspective at such scale. And so I think to me, that's the most important advice that probably throughout my lifetime as of 25 years old right now, I'm able to give is that if you want to do incredible things that I think can leave a global impact, like having the perspective is not enough. You've got to know how to connect them. Where can people learn more about you and ADP List? I am on LinkedIn and Twitter. So Felix Lee, you'll find me there. And ADPLIS is just at adplis.org. So you could find us on our website, adplis.org, or if not on LinkedIn and on Twitter as well. Those are our main channels. And you could find a mentor for free there and get the conversations that you need. Thanks, Felix. Thank you. Well, that was a fun conversation that we just had with Felix. Incredible. I mean, incredible. It makes me feel like a bit of a slacker here. I know. I feel like a, a deadbeat. <laughs> I was not doing that at the age of 25, that's for sure. Yeah. Bob, what are your thoughts coming out of that? Oh, I think it's pretty clear. I mean, it's just super inspired by him and what he's done. I've personally had just amazing experiences in IDP list. So like what he's given to the design community and I think the broader world is just such an enormous gift. You know, what he was talking about there at the end with the broadening your perspective and being able to see trends happening around the globe, like that's something I've been able to pick up a little bit through my experiences on what he's created. Because I have mentored people, I think, on every continent except Antarctica. <laughs> so you start to see things and you connect and you see how much tech has impacted everybody, how much optimism there is, how much creativity there is. It really gives you a lot more optimism about humanity and what we're capable of. One of the things that really stood out with me early in the interview is he said that they themselves had underestimated the amount of altruism in the world. And I thought that was really powerful. And I do remember that piece where they started thinking about offering tips or something like that and how much outrage there was. 
as an interesting learning. It's going to be interesting to see what happens with them now that they've taken investment. And is that going to create some sort of economic pressure on them? That economic angle could really disrupt what they're doing. It'll be interesting to see what happens there. Yeah, there's something really interesting, I think, that ADP and Felix and co-founder are tapping into. Do y'all remember a few months ago, it was like during the pandemic, Adam Grant published a really popular article on New York Times. It was about languishing. It's like that bad feeling that you have, it's called languishing. And it boils down to like, you're not feeling effective in what you're doing. And a lot of people who feel burnout, we think it's about working too much, but it's about not being effective at what you're doing. And Adam Grant told a story, I can't remember if it was that article or another place where he was talking about it, that there was a teacher, a high school teacher, who was working so hard and just not feeling like her students were really learning and picking up what she was putting down. And the way that she overcame her burnout was not by stepping back from her work, but by, on the weekends, she was mentoring young people who really wanted and needed what she was offering. And she felt replenished. She felt renewed. And I think that's kind of what's at the core of what Felix is tapping into, is that we need to feel effective in our life. We need to feel connection to other people. And what Felix said at the end there that was pretty profound, that connection across cultures just makes you feel part of something far bigger. That's what mentorship can be. And that, I think, is a really important part of a fulfilling life. Yeah, he said understanding to connect the dots and perspectives. You know, and I think, again, at 25, I definitely wasn't thinking about that. It's that need for community, right? And it's that need to, I think, help other people and know that because of the situation that we are in globally and all that has happened, especially in the last several years, it's important to know that like this world is built and created with humans. And how do we leverage that at such a simple point of just helping other people and guiding other people versus thinking of all of the other stuff that's happening in the world? It's interesting you keep saying, Meredith, like, I wasn't doing that at 25. And it's true you weren't, and I wasn't either. But I also don't think that was available to us when we were 25. That's true. Because we didn't have the internet. And when I asked that question to Felix about his worldview as a Gen Z, there is something profoundly different about that generational cohort because they came of age with ubiquitous internet access. And I don't think we're even close to understanding it, but that is just a tectonic shift like a bright line in human history where they are connected globally and the rest of us will never be natives in that land. And they are. I'm not even sure that he knew how to articulate that he had that worldview because it's so baked into them. You know, it's so baked into him. Yeah, they don't know it any other way. Yes, yeah, the fish swimming in the water and not knowing, that, you know, not how's knowing the water. The water yeah, how's the What's water? water? What's water? <laughs> yeah. I mean, they are global citizens in a really powerful, meaningful, inescapable way that those of us that were born before the internet, it's just that's not a worldview available to us, really. Yeah, that's true. I think the one thing that's really inspiring, though, is that a lot of people get caught up in like what they're going to do or how they're going to do it, and you know they kind of freeze. And the one thing that Felix did is he saw a need and he just went after it, right? Like he's just fearless and just was like, this is what I need in my life. I know other people need this in their lives. Like, I'm just going to do it and try it out. And I just, 
I wish that there were more people who could feel that way. How do we get people to start doing that more and more and more? Because I think there'd be even greater things in this world as a result. What also started as such a small thing, you know, the origin story of this thing was it was a spreadsheet because people were getting laid off. It's not that different from like an email list or something, right? He started the spreadsheet and then it took off. And then probably randomly at some point, he added that tab around mentoring and then that took off. And then the big leap was, should I quit my job and start a company? And that is a big leap, but it's interesting how he was able to kind of test the waters and kind of probably accidentally ended up hitting this incredibly rich vein that turned into something. You know, it's funny. You had sent me and Aaron a link to this guy's website called neil.fun. And it's like all of this like visual statistics and all of this stuff. And one of the things in the visual statistics was talking about like where there were things in the world. And it's funny, like Campbell's Soup was like created in the 1880s and it has been like the dominant force of soup ever since. And it was like those people saw a need and they went for it, right? And so it's just kind of like building upon that of like some of the biggest brands and some of the biggest ideas came from the needs. And I just think it's going to be really exciting to see what this generation can do in the future based off of the access to the technology that they have today. A friend of mine's got a great line, which is nobody ever started a big company. Yeah. And I always go back to that. It always reminds me because you kind of get in your head and talk yourself out of doing things because you try to play through, well, how where is this thing going to lead? And what I found inspirational about Felix is just, you know, he started small. He prototyped some stuff out. It seemed to be successful. And, you know, then there is a decision point. But by then, he's kind of informed and he knows what he's getting into. And they've tested product market fit. If you'd asked him two years ago, you know, are you going to start something that's at the scale that it's at now? I just don't think there's any way he could have imagined that. We've been asking at the end of every episode the same question, that reverse mentoring question. Think about yourself when you're 25. What were you like? How did you think? And what advice can that 25-year-old give you today? Essentially, like, what have you forgotten that you need to reconnect with? And most people have a really hard time answering that. So it was fascinating today to talk to a 25-year-old who had such a lucid answer. And even outside of his answer, just the way that he approaches his work, I think is the lesson, a key takeaway for us. And that lesson is tuning in, listening to opportunities as they pop up, you know, that there was this passion that was clearly present from a larger community that Felix and his co-founder kind of stumbled upon. And then once you have that signal, having the courage to take action on it, to do something about it, even if it's a smaller scale risk, it's a prototype, it's a limited time period that you're going to take action on it, but taking action. And I think the result is, you know, throwing yourself into something that is exciting, you're passionate about, but also you have some fear, probably means you're going in the right direction. One of the things I love about that question and why we keep coming back to it is I believe that of all the different challenges around diversity, one of the ones we never talk about is generational diversity. And for a lot of odd reasons, we live in a very generationally segregated world. And it's really unusual. There's really no socially acceptable place for you guys, for example, to interact with people who are in high school or college. Like you don't, 
you just don't know them, right? Because your kids are different generations or you don't have kids. And as a result, like not only do you not have access to that emerging worldview, but those younger people don't have access to you. And so we all get locked into this very limited experience of being surrounded by people of our own age. And we're missing so much connection and understanding of the continuity and the larger tapestry and thread of human experience. That's sort of what was Felix was saying there at the end. It just locks in your perspective and you got to reach out and find ways to interact with people from other generations to be able to, you know, not only from other countries, but also from other generations to be able to make those connections and broaden and get out of your own little mental bubble. Reconsidering is created by Aaron Walter, Bob Baxley, and me, Meredith Black, with editing help from Brian Paik of Pacific Audio. Original music for the show was written and performed by Kimo Meraki. You'll find a full transcript of this episode and all the links mentioned at reconsidering.org. If you've enjoyed this episode, hit subscribe in your favorite podcast player to catch future episodes and discover the treasures of the Reconsidering Library. To support the show, we'd be ever so grateful if you'd leave a review on Apple Podcasts or Google Podcasts. Your review will help others discover the show. And life, like the seasons, is ever-changing, but satisfaction can be found every day when we tune in. Until next time.